Welcome to The Follow-Up, a weekly podcast that goes in-depth into projects recently reviewed on Brand New, featuring conversations with the designers and sometimes their clients, uncovering the context, background, and design decisions behind the work. Hi, this is Brian e. Gomez Palacio, and welcome to episode 37 of The Follow-Up. This week, we're following up on Boston Calling, a music festival first celebrated in 2013 that attracted nearly 40,000 attendees in its last edition in 2019. Over the years, the festival has been headlined by performers like Kendrick Lamar, Sia, Beck, Eminem, Mumford & Sons, and many more. The 2020 festival was cancelled due to COVID, which was then postponed to May of 2021, and earlier this year, it was decided to further postpone it to 2022. Attendees' patients will be rewarded with headliners, Foo Fighters, and Rage Against the Machine. The project, designed in collaboration by Boston, Massachusetts-based Colossus and New York, New York-based Contino Studio, was posted on Brand New on July 7, 2021. You can pull it up on your browser at bit.ly slash bnpodcast037. That is B-I-T dot L-Y slash bnpodcast037, all in lowercase. This week, we're joined by John Contino, owner and chief creative at Contino Studio, and Travis Robertson and Greg Almeida, executive creative directors and co-founders at Colossus. In this conversation, we go far deeper than ever expected into the design of Dog's Ears as the long-standing mascot of this festival, a Boston Terrier, went through numerous iterations before being decided it would have no ears. Beyond the ears, we learn about the challenge of giving the festival a brand that could be independent from the musicians to create a personality that would be able to stand on its own. This was achieved through a solid combination of energetic design aesthetics and copywriting that was as strong on posters and social media promos as it was on bathroom signs and parking instructions, all while maintaining an unapologetic Boston attitude. Now, let's listen in as Armin follows up with John, Travis, and Greg. Hello, everyone. Today, we're heading deep into the Northeast as we heed the call of Boston Calling. John, Greg, Travis, thank you for joining me on the follow-up today. Thanks, Armin. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having us, Armin. Appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having us. Before we get started, if you could introduce yourselves with your name and title so that our listeners can know who's who. I'm John Contino, creative director, chief jerk at uh, Contino Studio. (laughs) I'm Travis Robertson, founder and executive creative director at Colossus in Boston. I am Greg Almeida, and I am also a founder and executive creative director at Colossus in Boston. Perfect. Greg and Travis, we're going to start with you. Since Colossus sits slightly outside our design and branding jurisdiction in the world of advertising, can you tell us briefly about your company? We have grown a lot. We're a pretty small shop in Boston, Massachusetts. We are a creative company. I guess you could call us an ad agency. We're about 20 people big now. At the beginning of the year, we were four people. So a lot of changes here. We do everything from design and branding and packaging to traditional advertising, websites, digital design, all of the above. We just like solving brand problems using creativity. Greg, anything to add or you're good with that description? No, I'm good with that description. You did a great job, Travis. 
very, that, that's, Greg's, that's Greg's job at Colossus. He just supports Travis's opinions. I'm the hype man. I'm like, yeah, woo! That's right. He's a hype man. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Uh, enjoying the dynamic already. Now, John, since you sit outside of any jurisdiction whatsoever, and you kind of make your own rules, for those of our listeners that may not be familiar with you, can you give us a quick intro? I mean, I do appreciate that. Contino is a creative studio slash wiffle ball team. <laughs> you know, we do everything from branding and packaging to we kind of stop at the advertising spot, but everything up to that is pretty much where we're at. Everything, you know, from A to Z in terms of creativity, we, we like to do. Now, Greg and Travis, as I was digging through your LinkedIn profiles, I noticed a certain theme, which is Boston. You both went to college in Boston, and you have both worked there for years. I assume this was one of the reasons why you ended up with this project, but could you walk us through how you landed Boston College? Sure. Boston, I think we all know and can appreciate, is the greatest city on planet Earth. Not wrong. With the greatest baseball team on, on, on planet Earth. <laughs> Uh, a deep lineage and appreciation for the Red Sox that John also shares. Wrong, wrong. Uh, <laughs> I got to admit, uh, no. before you get into it, Travis, yeah. I just got to say, I got to agree with John on this one. I know yeah. I'm born and raised in Boston, but I'm a Yankee fan. I know I'm like trader number one, but mm -hmm. I'm with oh. you on this one, John. Boston is the greatest city. Boston is the greatest city, but mm. the Yankees are the best baseball. Love Greg. But, you know, let's just move on past this. Greg is a first-generation American who uh, grew up in Massachusetts. I was not born in Massachusetts, but we met uh, working at Arnold, which is a large advertising agency in Boston, many, many years ago and became creative partners. That was over a decade ago. And we worked around, you know, at the big shops, the big holding companies, Mullen, Arnold, a bunch of other places, kind of getting our feet wet in the world of brand and, and advertising. And then, you know, we just, I never left. I've been here since I was 17. Like I said, Greg, born and raised, but we just saw a big opportunity in Boston to do something a little bit differently, something that felt, I don't know, a little more punk rock, something that felt like it had our stamp on it. And so uh, we started Colossus about a year ago. Uh, one of our first projects happened to be Boston Calling. So the client at the time was a strategist uh, named Danny Poole, an awesome guy who we had known from a, a previous life who reached out and asked, you know, would you guys want to take this on? It's a big deal. And, you know, that was one of his first gigs client side. And, you know, it's an awesome music festival. The bands are great. The headliner's great. I think it's always had a slightly different vibe than the Lollapaloozas of the world or any of the like, let's go set shit on fire in the desert and <laughs> run around on LSD festivals. So yeah, we jumped on it. It sounded awesome. You know, when Danny reached out to us too, you know, when you look at our site, you get a sense for who we are and what our vibe is. And he's like, you know, knowing us and having known Danny and worked with him in the past, he's like, your vibe is perfect for what we're looking for, for this festival. And that's the exact tone and the exact... You know, Colossus and Boston Calling were almost made for each other. He brought us in and off we went. Match made in heaven, a.k.a. Boston. Exactly, yeah. There you go. Yeah. Now, what prompted you to bring in John, a New Yorker? Uh, we owe John a lot of money. We've been threatening. <laughs> it's true. John's been threatening us. We've known John for many years. We met on a project for uh, Greg and I were the creative directors on Jack Daniels many years ago. We had done a series of like these letterpress posters that kind of made the rounds in design circles. The second year of that, we wanted to branch out and we brought John in and he did an awesome job on his hand-drawn poster for Jack Daniels. His aesthetic was perfect. We kind of like grew up in the same scenes also. And I think we had an immediate kinship and John's just a great dude and incredibly talented. 
I don't think you need an introduction on that. But on this one, as we got under the hood and started exploring what the brand could be, John's aesthetic fit into that really well. And we've stayed in touch for years. We slack every day and we text and compare notes on client behavior and typography. And I believe John refers to us as his best friends in the whole wide world. I believe that's John's actual title I mean, that is us, true. So. That is true. Thank you, John. They're fantastic people. I will say that. <laughs> <laughs> it's up to the listener to decide whether or not I'm lying. <laughs> <laughs> so, John, aside from getting the chance to work with fantastic people, <laughs> I know that living in a different city and state than the client or where the project is happening isn't a big deal. But this particular project feels like it couldn't get any more Boston. Do you have any hesitation into joining this project? You know, it's so funny too, especially being such a classic New York type of guy. I was born to hate Boston, but like at the same time, it's one of those cities, you know, like New York, Boston, Philadelphia, that kind of share a lot of the same DNA. It's like kind of like when siblings have like that sibling rivalry, you know, Mm -hmm. like they all grew up the same way. They're all from the same parents, you know, everything's the same, but they just fight each other all the time. Those types of cities, it's not out of the wheelhouse. And it's places that I've spent a lot of time in anyway, like Definitely spent a lot of time in Boston, really love the city. It really is, I mean, you know, all joking aside, it is a great place and there's a lot of really fun stuff and amazing history and a lot of characters there, you know, so it's just like the personalities is just like overflowing out of that city. So it was a no brainer to be a part of it. And it's not a city that I'm not familiar with. Like I know plenty about Boston. Some people would probably argue, why would you have a a New York guy working on something like this? But, you know, when it comes down to it, it, the traits that identify Boston as kind of like this personality riddled place is just so easy to tap into that I was more than excited to work on it. It's a good point. Like, it's not St. Louis. Right. (laughs) When you get up in the Northeastern Corridor, there's a lot of grit. Yeah. These are cities built by immigrants. These are port cities. These are like dock cities. And, you know, obviously, these cities have grown up and become more metropolitan and refined and sophisticated over the years. But there is a certain, like, undercurrent still. We always joke, like, what do you think? You're better than me? Yeah, yeah. Like, that's a thing. And that's a friendly thing. Like, <laughs> But right. people don't understand that in the Midwest. But John's right. Boston and New York, aside from slight inflections in our accents, our baseball teams, our definition of pizza, <laughs> we're really not that far off. <laughs> I think a lot of times people don't realize how close they really are to one another. Like, I've driven back and forth to Boston in the same day plenty of times for work stuff. You just feel like you're connected, you know, one way or another. There's so much overlap that it feels very natural. Yeah, I like how we're bridging the divide between Boston and New York through attitude as well as design as we'll get into the details of this project. So Greg and Travis, you mentioned that Boston Calling was one of your first clients as you set up your shop. Can you walk us a little bit through the timeline of this project as it spans two years that have felt like two decades? How did this all play out over the course of the pandemic? And I guess how it's still playing out because the event is happening next year. Yeah, it definitely took on a very different context. You know, initially, nobody had any idea what was coming down the pipe in terms of that bat meeting that pangolin <laughs> somewhere, <laughs> somewhere in the world coming to a standstill. But you know, when we started this, I guess it was two years ago, these festivals were yeah. a no-brainer. There were 30 of them a summer, and this is the big one up in New England. So you know, initially, it was like a project to refresh the brand. They've been doing this for a while. I think the brand had gotten a little bit stale, felt a little bit corporate, didn't feel true to the city or to the mission behind the festival. 
we were asked to give that an overhaul and then figure out, you know, what is design aside, you know, what is the marketing side of things? How does design and marketing, how do those hold hands? You know, obviously we start from the identity system, figure out what feels old, what we need to evolve, what still has equity in it and needs to be preserved and things like dog. And then, you know, the pandemic hit, I think right as we were like finishing this thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Like, like we were right about to launch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, it was buttoned up with a bow and then things started getting canceled here and there. And <laughs> and then this one got canceled and put on hold. And I don't think anybody knew when it was coming back. It just got put on the shelf and floated in the ether for a while. And I'm guessing earlier this year, they were like, okay, time to restart it. Was there any talk about revisiting the work that you had already done? Or was it just like, let's just pick up from where we left off? Uh, pick up from where we left off because nothing ended up out in the world for the festival. It's all there. You know, some of the headliners change and they'll swap out some of the acts and the dates, but they're still on the shelf, I guess, now until 2022. You know, things are <laughs> things are going back on hold. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy because we do events as well, our brand new conference. And I think a month ago, we, we had postponed all of our events from last year to this year, then from this year to next year. And a month ago, we were like, yeah, it's happening in 2022. But, you know, as of last week, we're like, we don't know. So it's crazy how much it continues to affect. But let's not dwell on COVID because it sucks. So <laughs> let's get back on the project. <laughs> Travis and Greg, what brief or direction did you get from Boston Calling? Or you already mentioned that, yes, it was a little bit dated. But was that something that they realized? Or were they just like, we want to look forward. What do we do? And what did those initial stages look like on your end? Fortunately for us, I think these clients were pretty self-aware. They knew that it had gotten a little bit old and had gotten a little bit stale. The worst is when you have to have that discussion with someone that refuses to believe it. You know, we built this brand 15 years ago and it's still perfect. Brands are living, breathing organisms that you have to take care of and grow and evolve and eventually give a haircut to and like teach them new skills. They knew that already, which was good for us. And I think they knew too that the festival, even the makeup of the festival had changed a little bit. They had a lot of electronic artists early on, and they had more pop artists early on, or they had at least grown into that, and they wanted to get back to their rock roots a little bit. You know, Boston's got a lot of rock history from Aerosmith to <laughs> to some of the punk rock bands like Gangrene and Slapshot, but they weren't going down the hardcore path, but they definitely were like, let's give this an edge, let's give this some grit, and let's get back to our rock and roll roots. Greg, any hype to add? <laughs> Any hype? Great job, Travis. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, it's funny because the headliners were Rage Against the Machine, Foo Fighters, and Red Hot Chili Peppers. Equally as disappointing as not having the work run was me not getting a chance to actually see Rage Against the Machine in concert. That was also the biggest bummer, but 2022, here we come. But it's true, they really wanted to get back to those rock and roll roots. And I think, you know, I was talking about earlier about the tone and the edginess. And I think, you know, they wanted to feel a little edgier and feel a little bolder, especially when we get into the marketing in the language and in the vibe to really kind of embrace all of that. And it's not something that they've really done much in the past. It was more just, hey, we're having the show and let's let the headliners lead and we'll go to market with the bands leading the way. And the bands still lead the way, obviously, but they wanted to give the show a little bit more of a personality as well. You know, rock and roll vibes is definitely the brief that we went off of, for sure. Especially, as Travis mentioned, with so many summer festivals in competition with it, that it needs to stand out, not just from the headliners, because all festivals have great headliners, but give it a personality makes a lot of sense. John, a similar question to you. What brief or direction did you get from Colossus, and how do you go about getting started on your end? 
the funniest thing about starting this project is that it definitely had a much different vibe at the beginning from where we ended up. <laughs> and I remember Travis and I were talking about it and we were just like, yeah, we want to do something like super clean and super bold and poppy and colorful and all this kind of stuff. And then I kept telling Travis, I said, yeah, I want to do something different. I don't want to do something that looks like John Contino did it, you know, like that kind of thing. So he was like, yeah, yeah, no, I totally get it. So then we ended up with something that looks like <laughs> stuff that I do all the time. I mean, it made sense though, because it's kind of, you know, it worked. It made sense for the brand and all that kind of stuff. It was a very open brief for me. Once I came in, it was very much kind of like, what's your opinion on this? Where do you see this going? I didn't really get this formal, it needs to be this, it needs to be that, it needs to appeal to this, blah, 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 blah. It was one of those things that was a little bit, you know, more just kind of like, what do you think? We know what the festival is like. We know where it's held. We know the history about it. Where do you think this can go considering what it was and how it can feel new and fresh and different and kind of, you know, start bringing new and different people into it? It was a lot of experimenting until we came down to the fact that it was kind of exactly what we thought it should be. You know, we took a, a roundabout way to get there, but once we finally landed on it, it just made so much sense that it was dumb that we didn't start there almost. So dumb. <laughs> I, well, I think too, like I, we have a slightly different dynamic than a, like, you know, a lot of ad agencies or like marketing companies will narrow down the five designers they want to work with and they reach out and they get a bid and then pull some swipe together and loose ideas. We don't really work like that with John anyway. I think because we're friends and we bounce ideas off each other all day long, whether we're working on them together or not. I'll send John stuff all the time. Like, Just what do you think? You know, and he'll tell me it's dog shit and I'll start over. I'll have a good cry. Mm -hmm, usually. <laughs> and vice versa. But I think that that was sort of how we approached this project. It's like, let's actually make something together. We got in the kitchen and made a nice casserole. It was really good making that casserole though, but it was just the three of us just really just like making fun of each other for the whole time, just like trying to figure out what was like an idea that didn't embarrass the three of us, you know, because it's, it's true, especially with the three of us constantly breaking each other's chops. Like it was definitely to a point where sometimes you could be like hesitant to share an idea because you didn't want it to get ripped to shreds. <laughs> I really find that to be like a good way to go about some of this stuff because when you put work out into the world, the internet is sitting there waiting to rip you to shreds. So like the way that we were going about it, I thought was actually pretty helpful, especially considering one of my favorite comments I saw online when they announced the lineup, someone was just like, what is this, a boomer fest? <laughs> Not really understanding like age or timeline or anything like that or generations. <laughs> it's so funny to think if that was all that someone had to say bad about it, then I think we succeeded and we did a good job. And to break down the casserole metaphor, how are you hashing this out? I mean, are you drawing stuff, all three of you? Are you just drawing kind of like a mood board references <laughs> first and then working through it? How does that look in terms of actual, not day-to-day -day work, but at the beginning of the project to end up in the direction that you wanted to go in? One thing I can say, and I think I pushed Travis to his limit with this, is that when I start a project, I pull more swipe. Oh, here come the mood boards. I, I do more <laughs> mood boards than anyone's ever seen in the world. <laughs> because yeah. I literally will put together like almost hundreds of mood boards just to kind of figure out certain little nuances, just to like kind of just make sure I can zero in on them. And I was just throwing stuff at them constantly. So even before we were able to even make anything, I was just like, look at these 500 images and take apart these two tiny little things out of all of them. That's what I mean. There was a lot of that to start with. And I don't know, guys, I don't, we didn't really have much visual at the beginning, right? It was more like verbal and kind of like swipe type of shit, wasn't it? 
Yeah, I mean, we had started with mood boards, I think, before John was in. Oh, yeah, you might. The initial conversations with the client, we had like, here are five directions we could go. Because it was pretty apparent early on that if you lean too heavy into the music, like into a genre, these festivals, like you can say it's rock and roll or whatever, but it's not Boston Calling Rock and Roll Festival. No. They'll have Post Malone or Travis Scott or whoever it is playing Run the Jewels. Like, obviously, it's going to be an eclectic mix. So we were looking at pieces of the city. How do you use Boston's historical color palette? What can we pull from? Is it graffiti culture? And it's really loose, right? Like we're not really into design systems or anything. It's kind of a vibe check. And so we'll take the client through that and be like, do you like something that's a little bit more street focused? Something that's like scrappy or DIY Xerox kind of thing? Do you like something that's a little more refined? Do you like something that literally takes what you did for the last 10 years and makes it a little bit better? And then once we got down that path, you know, and realized kind of where we wanted to go, we've got some very loose pieces. Then John comes in with his 4,562 mood boards. (laughs) (laughs) It is super helpful. I mean, every designer works differently, right? Some people are very methodical and like map out the battle plan and need those parts and pieces. I designed through sheer chaos and it would drive John nuts Mm. because he's more buttoned up than I am. And it's the total personal thing. John will throw in his ideas and we'll pull these three things out and add to it. And then we had communal mood boards going and we would add things to it. And so we figure out, oh, okay, let's lean into the, there's a little bit of like the color palette will come from the collegiate world, right? Because it takes place on Harvard's campus. So we want to pull some reds from that, or we want to pull some muted colors from that. And then, you know, we said Port City before, but there is like this old world thing about Boston. So the typography should take clues from that. And John would have some great ideas on what if we use this cool black letter thing that's all fucked up. And then we just kind of start building. Now that you have the theme going, let's talk about the hero of the Boston Calling Identity, which is the Terrier. And how did that evolve? John, you shared a few sketches showing the dog with different facial gestures, with ears, no ears, which was actually one of the most quote-unquote controversial elements of the design. We're like, oh, it should have ears. No, it shouldn't have ears. So what did that process of refining the hero of the festival look like? When we started to reinvent the Terrier, the first thing we did was we kind of sat down and we looked at it. We were like, what is weird about this? There's something about this is funky. And like, we couldn't really put our finger on it. And then and we sit there, we realized, oh, it's like, it has no ears. It should probably have ears. Like dogs normally have ears, you know? So we started adding the ears in and stuff like that. It was definitely our preference to keep the ears in there. And you'll see like in the sketches, the ears are kind of like popping through the hat. You know, and then it was like stupid stuff like, do the ears get stuck underneath the brim of the hat? Do they poke through? Like, has like a custom made hat for a dog with holes in the top? All these like different nuances about what is the, uh, you know, what's the production value of the hat that the dog is wearing? We definitely went for that and then subsequently got denied the ears. So that was not our choice. In terms of the personality, when I was kind of sketching out the terrier head, Just thinking about Boston and like this little terrier guy walking down the street, you know, looking for trouble kind of thing. That's the kind of personality I was trying to get in there. Like at one point we had like the little tooth sticking out and all kind of- We had stitches too, didn't we? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, I think we had stitches on his face. Yeah, we did. Yeah. (laughs) We had like a bite out of his ear. We're like, this guy's like rough and tumble. Yeah. He's seen some shit. But it is. It's like- Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. He wasn't putting up with it. Those dogs, like actual Boston Terriers, that's a- Ugly fucking dog. (laughs) So ugly. (laughs) If you really break it down, I remember John started to draw these too. He's like, I don't know if I'm getting the eyes right. We're looking at pictures of the actual dog and they look like their eyes are popping out of their head already. Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. They look like someone's squeezing them. Yeah, they do. (laughs) 
if it was like a Labrador or like a golden retriever, it probably wouldn't be that hard. But, you know, drawing that is not easy. It would be less fun, though. Like if it was like a lab or a gold, it would be like, oh, look how cute it is. But the Boston Terrier has that vibe to it where it's like, whatever, you know, like it's just got that whatever yeah. look. It's like, I was just slapped together <laughs> and this is what I am and you're going to have to accept it, which I love. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's not even a bulldog. Right. It's <laughs> right. just like a watered down bulldog that farts a lot. <laughs> For 2023, we'll propose a Labradoodle. That'd be the there new Boston calling. Yes. <laughs> you know, what's really funny though is, you know, you talk about the ears and stuff and it really shines a light on kind of how dumb all our jobs are at a certain point too. You spend so much time and emotion and then you're like, oh my God, they won't, they have to have no ears. That's so dumb. And you get so emotionally invested and then you take a step back and you're like, I'm upset because this dog doesn't have ears. Like who cares? You know what I mean? And obviously it's the passion that goes into it. And obviously you give a shit about all the details all the time. But it was really funny when you take a step back, like even now talking about it, I think about how annoyed we were like, oh, you can't put ears on the dog. Now it's just like, okay, it doesn't really matter. It was definitely heated too. Yeah. At one point, I remember it was starting to get heated. We were like getting yeah. real angry. Yeah. We were like, I had to step away for a day or two because we were like- <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It's like, <laughs> my wife's like, what are you so upset about? I'm like, forget it. <laughs> you wouldn't understand because no one would. Because no one would understand. <laughs> The only unfortunate thing about it, which is good for things like this, is where designer to designer, creative to creative, you can explain like, no, I get it. A dog should have ears, you know, but then like when it goes out into the world and people are just like, what friggin' morons did this? They forgot to put ears on the dog. Not even thinking about the fact that it had to go through all three of us, everyone around us, the clients, the clients' bosses, their board of directors. So many people have to look and weigh in on like ears or no ears. To be able to even get to that point is a struggle. And I feel like where we were able to get was such a victory because we got so many of the things in mm -hmm. that we wanted to get in that losing the ears at the end of the day was just kind of like, all right, we lost the ears, but we kept the weird phrases that say, go pee on the grass around the corner or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's funny you say the board of directors thing because halfway through the project, I forgot about this, Boston Calling got bought by Madison Square Garden, right? So there's another New York tie-in for you. Yeah, right. So now you got to go through your immediate clients and the founders of the festival who are great people and a pleasure to work with. But they're like, yeah, there's a new layer of complexity here. Now we got to go through Madison Square Garden. So I remember us putting together like 12 versions of the Terrier. <laughs> we're going to go into this meeting today. We're going to get on the phone with the big wigs in New York. We're really going to fall on our sword for these ears. We're like, listen, guys, we're going to lay it on the table. We got to have ears. And they didn't want ears. <laughs> It is what it is. But I guess that's the difference too between fine art and like making something for yourself in a vacuum that can be anything you want it to be. And then shepherding somebody else's brand that they have an emotional attachment to or they feel they have equity in something. To me, that's the most frustrating part of the job and the funnest part of the job because it is a riddle and you have to figure out, okay, I got to cut the ears off this dog, <laughs> make it make sense fitting under a bowler cap that the dog is wearing and make it still look pissed off and gritty. And really, at the end of the day, do you really want a pair of ears representing a music festival? You know? That's <laughs> <laughs> well, it was a heated discussion. It, it's really awesome to hear that it was a heated part of the process as well, just because it validates the strong opinions that people have, especially in the comments from Brian New, where like, this should have had ears. It should have, but it didn't. And we need to move on. And at the end of the day, people are not going to decide whether to attend the festival or not because of the lack of right. ears on the dog. 
it just brings up a thing that is just by nature, I think we're all very critical people because that's kind of what we do is to just be critical all the time. So when you are in our shoes and you're making something and you deal with all those things that you have to deal with, you do the best you can to get as much as you can through the door. And then when you're not in our shoes and you're the outside looking in and then you're looking at something and you're critiquing it and you're saying, well, this could have been done better and this could have been done better. It's so hard sometimes to just step out from all that and remember that at the end of the day, the designer is generally not the one who's making the final, final decision. And you have to be able to grade them on how much they're able to convince the client that artistically speaking, what they're doing is the best thing for them. So it's almost like this very intangible grading process that I think we all forget all the time because you just get yep. so invested in it from the inside or the outside. It's so easy to just say, that's great or that sucks, that you forget that there's like that obstacle course in the middle that you have to navigate your way through. And it's not they're not all created equal. Like some courses are harder than others. Yeah, it's also easy to forget how much is on the line when it comes to the client. For you, it's a logo, and you'll make another one the next day or the next month. But for the client, especially in this case, where it's an event that attracts thousands of people during the summer, and there's so much writing on it for it happening next year, and now you add the layer of complexity of MSG being an owner, it's a minefield of <laughs> problems that you have to deal with. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a tub of Lando Lakes butter. <laughs> Armin, you said earlier too, Nobody doesn't go to the show because the dog doesn't have ears. But I really like to think in my heart, there's one guy in Boston who was really <laughs> going to go to the show. He's like, fuck, and fuck he's this. Like, he's like, this dog doesn't have fucking ears. I'm not going to this show. <laughs> like, there's one guy that did not buy tickets because of the ears. So, uh, and he tweeted about it. And he tweeted about That's it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Tommy O'Shea from Dorchester. I'm not going. This is bullshit. Uh, I think we've spent plenty of time on the dog's ears. <laughs> yeah, you sure you want to talk about it some more? Let's talk about the rest of the stuff around it, both the sure. graphics and the copywriting, all of which supports what we've been talking about, about the energy, the attitude, the personality that the dog represents. How did those things develop? At what point did they develop in terms of when you show stuff to the client? Did you say, all right, here's your logo, approve that, and then move on to the next? Or did you present more complete packages to get them on board with the overall tone? Hmm, what did we do? I don't even remember. <laughs> yeah, there was, I mean, there was so much going on. I forget what we were actually presenting because I know the logo process was deep, you know, getting the type right and getting the different kind of lockups right and the different kind of terrier heads and all that stuff. That was kind of its own beast. Then it just became just like, how much stuff can we do to kind of support the voice of this thing? I think it was literally just like us just making stuff and just putting it together and being like, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? Does that sound right? Yeah, the utility stuff was first. There was like the website and we had to reskin that and then the mm -hmm. identity system. But then in tandem, we were definitely like, oh, it's a festival, right? So there's a ton of wayfinding that we had to figure out how to do. Like there's signs in the back near the porta potties. How do you make that interesting? There's parking. Like how do you make that interesting? And that's part of the allure of a festival. If you can give those mundane things that there's no media buy behind the parking sign. Right. But, you know, 30,000 people are going to walk past that or drive past that. That's a first impression when they get to the event. For us, it was like, how do we make this look cool? But how do we give it a tone and a personality that can come to life from like the corn dog stand over there to the merch stand to when you get your wrist bracelet? It's an experience. We're not making a trifold brochure, although we did make a trifold brochure, <laughs> <laughs> or like a pharmaceutical commercial. 
right? It's a brand experience that lives and breathes and you go to it in person. I think there was a lot. Yeah. How do you make every touch point enjoyable? Because the concert in itself is a really enjoyable experience. But then how do you add, these are all like little extra bonus features that you're like, oh, hey, that's a really funny sign telling me where the bathrooms are. Hey, that's a really funny sign telling me where the fried dough is or whatever it is, right? Like every single additional layer just ultimately adds to your enjoyment and your experience at the show, which is nice, you know? And I mean, obviously if the band sucks, then you're not going to leave there and be like, God, the band sucked. But boy, that was a hilarious fried dough sign. But at least, you know, <laughs> if it does deliver on its promise, and it usually does, then it's just another additional layer of enjoyment that you get while you're there. I just remembered something early on in the process. I don't know if you know this, John, because this was like before you had come in. But one of our first discussions with the client was where we broke down the top five music festivals in the country. And we made a chart about what drugs would people take. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. At these festivals, right? I don't even remember, but it was like Lollapalooza was like Molly and like, <laughs> like I forget what the other ones were. Like, this one is LSD, this one is just weed. But Boston was a beer and a shot. <laughs> it wasn't drugs at all. It was like a beer and a shot. We're like, okay, cool. The guy who's having a shot of Jameson and a Budweiser is the guy who's writing all of this copy. That was the voice. That's the tone. So what would that guy who's having a beer and a shot 12 times over before 5 o'clock, how would he tell you where the bathroom was? (laughs) That's sort of how that came to life. It's funny because in branding, there's this whole thing where you define the archetypes of who your audience is. And not once have I heard the archetype being a beer and a shot guy. <laughs> this is quite perfect. It's pretty unique. Yeah, yeah. yeah that was a proprietary process. <laughs> right. Yeah. You have to trademark that. Yeah. One of my favorite things of working with these guys is that every time I see one of their presentations or proposals, I... Even me, who I like to think I'm pretty outspoken and outrageous in some of the things I say, I just look at them and I go, you guys, you can't say this. This is not appropriate. (laughs) (laughs) And how are you working in all of this together in developing those final assets? Is it mostly you, John? Is it back and forth? Is it completely collaborative, even though you're separate? Once we started getting into the collection of visual icons and things like that, it was collaborative in a sense where it was just like, what are these things that make up this narrative? We would talk about it and we would list out all these different things. Is it like this? Is it like that? Is it whatever? And we would just list them and I would just start going and just start drawing them out. And does this make sense? Does this make sense? Does this make sense? On the other side where we were doing the bigger elements that have like more utility, like the signs and all that kind of stuff, then it was flipped roles a little bit. Instead of giving them content input, I was giving them maybe more style input and they were throwing out content at me. And then we were going back and forth that way. So we did kind of jump across the line as we started to get more and more into the asset package. For your client, how are they reacting to all of this? I get the sense that to a degree, they were overwhelmed with the amount of stuff. They were just like, fine, let's just go with this because I don't feel like fighting, but you know, <laughs> finessing this seems like a lost battle. Yeah, no, there wasn't any fighting. They were great. Nothing bad to say about anybody there. With a lot of these things too, obviously, you're not going to hire a designer or an agency to do everything. Right? You're going to give them key touch points. And in theory, we'll give you back a brand that your in-house team or a smaller faction of people will then take and use that as a toolkit to make the thousands of tedious things they have to make, the 728 banners and the backstage passes and all those stuff. 
We did that. We gave them the tools to do that. And then obviously there was media that we had to fulfill in terms of, okay, we need got a social teaser that needs to drop. Then the website needs to be live at this point. We got to announce tickets here. And so yeah. we did all that punch list beyond that. But then I think we definitely overachieved because it's fun. <laughs> we, we could do this and we could do this and we could do this. And sometimes you got to reel yourself back in mm. and just like pump the brakes because it's easy to go forever. We definitely went overboard. I remember having a few conversations of like, where do we draw the line? Because it's like, it's like, well, yeah. we're not really getting paid for any of this at this point. <laughs> we're just mm -hmm. like, yeah, yeah. just keep going. <laughs> but in terms of the client, though, they're great to work with because they were very bought in and invested in the concept and in the tone and in the idea. They were taking as much as we would give it. They loved it. Obviously, there are certain, like anything, there's, I'm not, I don't know about this, so this feels a little off or whatever it is. But it's also, as creatives too, when you're getting this positive feedback and they want more of it, they're like, we love this. This is great. It motivates you to do more of it. We're like, all right, well, if you like that, how about this stuff? You know, and mm. it just keeps going. And eventually, you're like, okay, we've done enough now. Okay, we should stop. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all right. Trying to sum up the conversation, even though it's been great, and we could go back to the dog's ears for another half hour. <laughs> Yeah, you want to talk about that some more? <laughs> yeah, a little bit more. I'm ready. I don't think we've delved deep enough. <laughs> the people who were complaining in the comments, I hope they're listening to this. And they, <laughs> I did read for a second on there and I was like, should I jump in and start this whole thing? And I was like, nah, nah, I got to keep my mouth shut. I got to shut up. <laughs> because clearly you can go on forever about that. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go around. If you can share, what was the most exciting aspect for you working on this project? Let's start with you, John. Hmm. Honestly, the most exciting aspect of this was getting to work with these guys. We had worked together before in the past, but like the Jack Daniel stuff we worked on, it wasn't really collaborative, collaborative in the sense that we were coming up with the ideas together and we were doing all that stuff together. It was more just, here's this idea for this campaign. What would you do for it? In this sense, it was more just, let's just like band together and just be a team and just tackle this as a team. And for me, I think you can make just about any project fun. And, you know, it doesn't have to necessarily be like a really cool music festival for it to necessarily be your favorite project. But I think the experience of having them allow us to do certain things and then being able to work with your friends and do things in a really fun way, but also feel like you're growing in what you're doing by having other intelligent, talented people tell you what's good, what's bad, all that kind of stuff. To me, that was a really, really pleasant part of the whole thing. It's probably my favorite part of the whole thing. Hopefully, I stole your answers, guys. <laughs> <laughs> no, I agree with John. And I would tell you if I didn't. <laughs> felt like you know working with friends it didn't feel like this we were in a conference room filling a punch list i won't give you the same answer even though i agree with that the thing aside from that that i like too is living in the city where the event takes place it's huge thousands and thousands and thousands of people pour into the city even like the geographic footprint of the festival is large right so it's something that you see everywhere when it's here yeah. and everybody's talking about it and in the past it's sort of been you know, it's an event that people go to and the personality was always derived from the artists that they brought in. I feel like we took that and gave the brand more of a personality that started to manifest itself in the city. And you can see that on their social channel, on Boston Calling social channels, or the way people talk about it, you know, like at the bus stop. There's a snark to the city that the festival took on, and I say that in a constructive way, that you start to people be like, ah, oh, that's funny. Like, that's so Boston calling. Like, I don't know that that existed before. Mm. I'm really proud of that. I mean, I agree with both of your answers, uh, John and Travis. But for me, my answer piggybacks a little bit off of John's answer a little bit more, and it was the collaboration. I'm a writer by trade, sort of the outlier in this group right here. So, you know, John is obviously 
he's a decent designer. He's fine. I mean, let's not get carried away. He's all right. <laughs> you know, Travis is an excellent art director and designer as well. Obviously, both of these guys are amazing at what they do. How come he got excellent and I got decent? What is this? <laughs> he calls it like it is, John. He's not your hype come man. Come on. Yeah. It's ridiculous. He's my hype man. John, you're okay. Ridiculous. You're okay. It's ridiculous. <laughs> no, obviously, John is brilliant at what There you does. go. Better. <laughs> And so is Travis. And, you know, and as a writer, you know, there are a lot of very visual elements to this project. I mean, the reality is I just drew all of it. I mean, if we're being honest. <laughs> no, but, you know, what's great was the collaboration because roles, obviously, when it comes to the actual design and stuff, I'm not going to be involved in that. Where Travis is an excellent writer and John is a good writer and a good thinker, like the roles sort of deteriorated and it felt collaborative. Throwing out ideas. Oh, I love that line. Oh, I hate this idea. Oh, this doesn't work. Oh, that dog should have ears. Oh, whatever. Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. But it was so collaborative and so fun. There's no ego. There's no pretense. I mean, we bust each other's chops way too much for anybody to have ego in this group. You know what I mean? Like That to me was the most enjoyable part of the process. I think one of you said it. It felt like friends in a room just throwing around ideas and getting paid for it at the end of the day, which was really awesome. And then coming up with work that I think we're all really proud of. Piggybacking on all three answers, I think what's clear or what became evident in looking at the project is how much synergy there was between everything, between the copywriting, the color palette, the design elements, everything just gelled in a way that felt very unique, very authentic. You know, after having this conversation, it's clear where that came from. And it came from how familiar you're with each other, how comfortable you're with, with each other working together and coming up with this wild stuff that the client enjoyed, getting that encouragement from the client that just pushes you to keep going and going. And it's a good thing that you stopped. There could easily be a point where this jumps the shark and you're like, all right, they went too <laughs> far, but I think it just hits the right note at the right amount of high decibels that it needs to. And I want to thank you all for joining me on the follow-up today, sharing your stories, talking so much in-depth about the dog seers. Thank you again for joining me on the follow-up today. <laughs> Thanks for having us, on. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. While the resulting project looked like Colossus and Contino Studio were given free reign to do all kinds of fun and cool stuff and get away with it, it was great to hear that it was the result of a process not that different from designing a corporate identity. And as John reminded us, it can often feel like an obstacle course. As Travis acknowledged, this give and take can be the most frustrating part of the job. But as he quickly clarified, it is also the funnest part of the job. Ears or no ears, this was clearly a fun project. Today, thanks for listening. Until next time, we'll be here. We hope you'll be there.